Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, I've been excited to bring this one to you guys for a while. We are talking to Wayne Hussey, the frontman for that incredible, I don't know, goth rock pop band from the UK, The Mission. I hope everyone remembers The Mission. They had a bunch of hits, more in the UK than in the States. Tower of Strength, Butterfly on a Wheel, Severina, this song right here, Wasteland. Excellent, beautiful, powerful stuff. In, in America, they were more kind of college radio, alternative radio. But anyway, these guys have been so good for so long. They're still out there doing it. Of course, no one's out there doing it right now. But without the pandemic, they would still be out there doing it. Wayne, get this. I don't know if you know this. Wayne grew up Mormon. And so, of course, Wayne and I have to discuss our Mormon heritage and how Mormonism influenced, if at all, his sort of take on religion and spirituality, because as you heard at the beginning of this song right here, I mean, dealing with man's relationship to God and is it there and is it real and does he love us? What's going on? That is a real uh, point within the mission's music that happened, that comes up a lot. It's a theme. And so I wanted to know if Mormonism influenced his view on and take on that kind of topic. We talk about a lot of the songs and albums they've put on, put out over the years, uh, various songs from each one. We also get into, at near the end, uh, you may remember from the Tim Palmer episode we put out earlier, that fantastic Tower of Strength 2020 remission charity single, which is like an all-star Band-Aid-like cast of people singing Tower of Strength to raise money for frontline workers during the pandemic. It is so beautiful. So we talk about that in here as well, how that even came to be. So anyway, Wayne is a fascinating guy. I um, I hope that you love this one. I love the mission so much. And of course, with the Mormon thing, we had so much to talk about. So anyway, I think this is a really interesting conversation. He actually called me from his home in Brazil. I don't remember where specifically, but he lives out, like, out in the middle of nowhere in Brazil. For starters, I have to tell you that I've only seen you in concert once, and it was one of the most satisfying concert experiences of my whole life because uh, it was almost three years ago exactly. I 
flew out. My the, my production partner, my friend that I do this podcast with, lives in Scotland, mm. and and I flew out there for the weekend to see Alice Cooper and the Tubes in concert, and that was all I knew about. And while I was in line at the Hydro to go into the venue, I heard that there was another band on the bill, and it was you guys. Mm. Yeah, and. Stuck in the middle, weren't we? Yes. And I could not have been happier because I've seen the other two. And of course, I love them too. But I just didn't think there would ever be a chance that I would I, see the I mission. Know. I know. Well, it, we were the young boys on that bill. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah. I'm going to tell you where I'm from in a few minutes because I have a feeling you'll have a lot to say about this. But it was, I, there was, I mean, I could, I've, I became a, a bigger mission, uh, mission fan later in life. And so, it yeah. was not like you guys were on tour all the time and I could just catch you easily. And I thought, I don't yeah. know that I'll ever see these guys. And uh, well, so this, America's, America, yeah, America's uh, a strange old place for us. We, we, I mean, we, you know, we, we had a crack go at it in the late eighties, went over there three or four times and um, we've been over there once or twice since, but it's, it's not a favorite place of ours to tour. I have to say. Really? But, um, Why? Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, Shut the shows are fine, but I, I it the part of the problem is logistics of it all. Um, we're not in a position where we can lose money at all touring, and to tour America, it costs a lot of money for us to, to go there, you know, because we have to yeah. come in and bring crew and visas and the rest of it. And the places we play, you know, aren't big enough to really pay for us to do it. So, sadly, I can't see us coming back yeah. to be honest with you which is a shame yeah. i do i do actually like touring in america when we when we used to tour there i did like touring there but it was um we were always um being subsidized by the record label at that time yeah i had yeah. a feeling you would say that and that's why that experience seeing you there was especially delicious because i knew i would never get that chance and i'd always wanted it and it was such, it was a surprise. I mean, I, it, I didn't even know you were on the bill when I went to the trouble of flying out there for that show. Well, it was just you so great. Yes. And ta- you kick it off with Tower of Strength and it goes on for like, it's like this 15 minute version that I just want to like bathe in. I never want it to end, you know? True. 
that, 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 that's, that's, that's what we started with that in that tour, yes. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah I remember oh. now. Oh yeah, well, God. you know, I mean, we, they were very strict on the time, um, Alice Cooper's people. Uh, they were, it was run with um, uh, precision. You had to be on and off, and you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there. You couldn't say hello to this person or <laughs> things like that. Yeah, no, but it was fine. We knew, we knew what it yeah. was all about, you know. Yeah. Well, anyway. Got to meet Alice. Else. What's that, Alex? No, I got to meet Alice, which is. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was a big one for you. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, I you know, I mean, I was a kid in the in, in the uh, 1972. Just got into pop music in schools. Came schools out, came out, and it was like, you know, yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, no, it was it was good. It was nice. You know, it's always nice to meet um, people that you kind of grown grown up with and who you admired from an early age. You know, I mean, I've been very fortunate in that respect. I've met a lot, quite a lot of people, you know, whose music I've liked. Yeah. Over the years. It's, it's, it's good. I bet. Okay. So here's, here's the deal. I am from Salt Lake city and I, hey. up, yeah, <laughs> I'm Mormon. And, uh, my buddy that I do the podcast with is Mormon too. Are and, you still, uh, are still Mormon. That's a very uh, complicated question, Wayne, hmm. to be honest. Well, no, um, it's not really. Are you excommunicated or are you still in the church? I am not excommunicated. I um nor am I. Really? So do you no. still have home teachers popping over to, to check well, on you? I mean, no, you know, that's why I live in Brazil. Yeah. In the, right. in the, in the middle of nowhere, you know, there's no extradition treaty here, you know. So yeah. um, I, I've yeah. run away. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. um my mom and dad my mum and dad are still practicing Mormons, actually. And okay. um, and my sister, my sister actually went on a mission to uh, really? California to um, to LA. Uh oh. Southern California, and my my parents went on a mission about ten years ago to the Philippines. Weirdly. No way. Okay, so yes. your family's deep in it. You know, you you still know yeah. what's going on. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think they still hold out hope that I might come back to the fold. You know, yeah. but I've got two younger brothers and two younger sisters, and apart from one of the sisters, you know, the rest of us are all inactive. But you know, so as long as you're inactive, you can't be excommunicated. Mm. That's true. Well, I've never, I mean, I don't know. Have you officially asked for your names, to, your name to be taken off the record and all that kind of well, stuff? Well, just when I was in Salt Lake City, one time on tour, I was, you know, had a bit too much um, lubrication and I was running around, excommunicate me, excommunicate me. <laughs> and the guy, on the, the guy at the desk in the hotel, right, sir, you're excommunicated. Now go to bed, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can yeah. do that. Yeah. So yeah, I um I I am not the firm believer that I used to be, mm-hmm. but I still really enjoy the culture and a lot of the structure as far I, I have three little kids okay. and it's uh it's not a bad way as long as you're no. judicious no. and not laying guilt on thick, which we my wife and I make sure not to do. But it's yeah, not a bad way to raise a family, you know what I mean? So yes, absolutely. I, you know I, what? Yeah. You know that's that's one thing that I I, I kind of recognize is yeah. the way that I was raised has actually you know put me in um, a, a good position really for the rest of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and whilst yeah, I'm kind of envious of my parents and my sister. You know, I'm, I'm envious that they're so sure 
of yeah. what, what it's what it's all about, right. what's going to happen, you know. And I, I am envious of that. I mean, I don't have that belief, right. you know. But, yeah, yeah, I, but I'm, I'm with you. I think I think it's a good way to. I think there's a lot of lot of good things about the church. The social aspect of the church I always quite enjoyed when I was younger. Yeah. You know? mm. Yeah. I, uh, so yeah, I, I view it as I take the parts that I like from it and I disregard the parts I don't like. So I just do it selfishly. I do it my way yeah. and, and that's good enough for me. You know what I mean? Are you going to go to the celestial kingdom? <laughs> I don't know. As, assuming there is one, I don't know. I, I well, wonder about you, that. You, you, know, you know, I have, I mean, my, my mom and dad's, I mean, they, they keep saying to me, you are bound to us for all time and eternity. You yeah. know that. I said, well, yeah. they're not going to let me in, mum. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I mean, okay. So does that mean I can get away with doing anything and, and still, still, go, you know, go to the celestial kingdom? I, know, I don't, I, I, I don't understand that really, that, that how that works. Know. No, I don't either. I know I've I've wondered the same thing. The in theory, so much of the beliefs are really beautiful and wonderful, but then when you look, you know, a layer or two deeper, it starts getting kind of confusing. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that, yeah there's, I mean, it's a bit like communism, you know, in, sure. in, in in its essence. I think communism is a beautiful thing, but it 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 actually goes against human nature. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't. I mean, I would. I don't. Uh, you know, I haven't. I don't drink or go do drugs or anything. So I haven't done anything that God would be mad at me for to take me out of the celestial kingdom, except being like a one hundred percent true believer. You know. So I well, don't know. You we'll know see. what? I, you know what, John? I think. I think. You know, the crime of drinking or taking drugs is is nothing compared to other, some other crimes. Oh, to totally. Be totally frank with you, because. When you drink or take drugs, you're really only harming yourself. Point. Very true. Mm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows mm -hmm. how all this will all shake down? But I just thought that I had to let you know that, uh, you know, we come from a similar place. Yeah. And, and because of that, that, I mean, you know this. That's what adds extra layers of fascination to who you are as an artist. When I... Going back to the very beginning, when I, how has Mormonism influenced and informed your music? Can you be specific about that? Is because I'm wondering if it's a, is it a fight against God and religion in general and Mormonism specifically, or is it an ongoing conversation or a battle of trying to make it all make sense? Um, I think when when I, I, you know when the mission first started and I became the singer really kind of by default, and I had to start writing lyrics. I mean, I did I did tend to um, couch what I was saying in language of the Bible if, in many ways. You know, it, it's a, it was a language I was kind of I kind of grew up with, and I was kind of familiar with, and I liked the language. The biblical language, you know, the words that they use in the Bible and stuff, you know. So yeah, I, I use that in songs. I think, I, I mean, this, you know, the, the opening line of um, God's own medicine is, uh, "I still believe in God, but God no longer <laughs> believes in me." You know. Um, I know. I think there was definitely a kind of a, a dichotomy going on in the early days. I think I think I'm kind of you know past that now, though. I kind of worked it out. I know that being raised as a Mormon. When I did turn my back on the church, so to speak, in 
my late teens, my teens, late teens, and started, you know, doing things that normal boys do. <laughs> I was racked with guilt, you know. I mean, I, I remember the first few times I had sex, for instance. I mean, I was completely racked with guilt and, you know... I thought I was damned in the son of perdition and the rest of it. So it, it you know, I, I, that kind of took me a little while to work that one out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, I once I did, though, I made up for lost time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I mean, you, you, so there's a saying, and you've probably heard this. There's a saying sometimes in the church, in the Mormon church, that people may leave, but they never leave it alone. Does that make sense? Like they'll mm-hmm. leave the church, but they leave, they they still can't stop chewing on it for most of their life because it's such a I don't know. There's so much to grapple with on there. So when you're seeing when you're writing songs and you're singing things like "I still believe in God, but God no longer believes in me," is that you kicking against the oppressive, unoppressive Mormon upbringing, or is that I don't know? I mean, you're such that guy. Where does it come from, I guess? I mean, are you angry? Are you... uh... I'm not angry. I mean, you know, I think um, when I hit my 20s, I think as it just... I I made a joke of it before. I kind of made up for lost time, you know. I think I went from one extreme to the other. I really did, you know. Once once I kind of, you know, got rid of those shackles, it was like, okay, I'm in in for a penny, in for a pound. I'm going all the way here. The other way. And I think, you know, ultimately you find your balance, you know, at some point, if you're lucky enough, you know, and I think I have been lucky in that respect. It took me a while, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think I was ever angry. I, I mean, I do, I do, as I said before, there's a lot, there was residual guilt for, you know, a good few years, you know, after I stopped going to church. And I think that manifested itself in, in certainly in early lyrics of the mission songs, that there's some of that in there. And um, it certainly manifested itself probably in, in some of my re- relationships as well, to be honest, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, that whole th- the whole uh, dichotomy of um, Madonna and the whore, you know. Uh, I, I, it was a weird thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, I liked sex, but I didn't, I, I felt... Like I was violating, if I loved, you know, if I was very fond of somebody, it felt almost like I was violating them by having horny sex with them. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, and, and it took me, you know, as I said, it took me a while to work all that out, you think, and it, and, and I think, and um, but I don't, no, I don't think it was anger. I just think okay. it was just, you know, working out re- repression. I, you know, I don't, I'm, I've never really been an angry person. I've had my moments, of course. You know, my football team loses or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But no, I don't think I don't think being raised as a mom is left would let, ever left me angry. OK, the the reason I ask is because this this constant battle of that it, that it plays out in your music to a listener of trying to make sense of, you know, the carnal and the sensual and the spiritual and all those kinds of things. It, it feels it's a topic that is still present. It is still something that Wayne Hussey deals with and puts out in the world in his art. And so I just wonder, do well, you I, still I struggle with those things? Is that top of mind for you all the time? No, not really. I don't struggle with it. I, I think, okay. I mean, I definitely feel that you can be spiritual and, and um, carnal at the same time, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, uh, you know, certainly if you were the right person, I think, 
you know that 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 helps a lot of course mm-hmm. you know and uh it took me a while to find the right person yeah you know now yeah. i've been together with cincha for 20 years now so you know Good kind of you. figure yeah kind of figure that's probably you know the right person yeah yeah you know it's yeah i mean I, she's definitely helped me and figure out who I am as well, you know. I mean, she's you know she's considerably younger than me, but in many respects, she's far more mature. Yeah, aren't they yeah. all? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Wives and women in general often. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah. Okay, so let me you know let me ask you this. I think people now this term didn't wasn't around necessarily in the eighties when you were first starting out of goth, but that's where a lot of you know Sisters of Mercy come from. That early dead that are alive. The mission, obviously, people want to attach labels to things, and the one that you guys got was goth, goth rock, or whatever. And I'm mm. curious, what about that group of people, or that scene, or that ethos, or whatever, was so attractive to you? Because that's uh, that's where you really found yourself, you know. Well, and I, it doesn't, I don't mean it has to be anything yeah. against Mormonism. I'm just curious, what about that scene? Did you feel? At the time, you you know, you gravitate towards people who are like-minded, like the kind yeah. of same kind of things, you know. And it when I mean, I, funnily enough, actually, John Klein, who uh, was the guitarist with Susie the Banshees for a while, a long while, I, he was raised as a Mormon too, in the same church as I was right. in Bristol. And so we were friends, you know, when we were kids. You know, uh-huh. we were friends when we were, you know, teenagers and stuff. We were actually in the same scout troop together. So, you know, he went off and then he ended up playing in the Banshees. But one of the things that he did do in the 80s was start the Batcave in the club in London, which actually, you know, kicked off the whole goth scene, if you want. But, that, right. but, but up to that point, though, when it's happening, it's not a scene. It's only when it becomes, you know, overground and it starts to become mainstream. Actually, then it, it, it's, it's actually started the demise, to be honest with you. You know, because you, you, it becomes something that's fashionable. But, it, you know, it really, when we first started going to these clubs, it, yeah, we liked this, you know, maybe the, the not sharp music. I mean, slightly darker music. It wasn't necessarily what we would consider goth, you know. I mean, there was electronic music, too, of people like Fag Gadget and Early Human League, along with people like Killing Joke and Echo and the Bunnymen, you know. And then obviously Joy Division and then think, you know, so those are the kind of records that were being played in these in these places, in these clubs. I lived in Liverpool at the time and there was a great club called Planet X, actually, that, um, you know, was uh, was was part of that scene. And, and really, I think, to be honest, I think goth evolved actually from the new new romantic scene in a way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. You know, because it was it was like, you know kids who like to dress up and you know some went to the darker side you know mm-hmm. and we you know and you know these people we, we like the same kind of poetry we like the same kind of films we like the same kind of literature you know the same culture and that you know and it was only afterwards really that when when you know journalists started calling it goth that um, it, it really became what is considered a scene mm-hmm. and by that point the prime movers, if you want, were already evolving and moving on to some, you know, pastures new. I mean, yeah. I ne- I've never really um, subscribed to being a goth, really. 
I mean, and, it, and, and I know there's so many, many people that are considered goth that say the same thing. But, I, you know, if you look back at the mission, I, I mean, yes, we wore the big hats and the glasses, but we were the first to do it in a way. So mm. it wasn't it wasn't a case of, you know, copying anybody. It was just a case of finding your own personality, really, within that culture, if you yeah. want. With, with, I could see that. Know, yeah, and you know, and I think I think the mission, particularly Sisters of Mercy, were darker because Andrew and Andrew's a darker person than, than I am, and Andrew tended to deal with darker um, subjects in his in his songs. He still does, you know. I think uh, when the mission started, I don't, I never really could. I mean, obviously, some of the song titles, early song titles, are a little incriminating. You know, wake, <laughs> sacrilege, serpent's kiss. But I actually think that there were, you know, there was, a, it's a fusion of, there's, there's a big element of classic rock in there as well. And, and even pop, even <laughs> pop, but, but pop in, it pop in a, pop in a cool way. Not, not, absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not pop, pop, but pop in a, you know, no. yeah. I mean, we were fortunate that we, um, you know, in the early days, we ended up having hit singles in the UK, you know, and that was, uh, we we went big very quickly. And that kind of helped the, the scene, if you want to call it, go overground, as I was talking about before. And, yeah. I, and you know, once, it's, once it goes overground, once it becomes fashionable, I think, as I said before, I think that's the beginning of the end, really, yeah. of it as a, a vital scene, you know. Yeah, I could see that. It's mm. been uh, exposed. It's been found out. There's no like. Yeah, well. Sort of yeah, stuff. not yeah, and I think you know. Then, then it becomes uniform. You know, people. When yeah. we started, we didn't all look the same. We we all you True. know we yeah we all we all went to uh, you know secondhand stores to buy our clothes. None of us had any money. You know, we used to take speed because we couldn't afford anything else. We couldn't afford the, you know the, the the cocaine or anything. So speed was the cheap drug. And buy our clothes in secondhand stores. So you 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 kind of you know mixed and match and ended up finding your own style in amongst that. And it's when when it become when it comes overground is when is when people it started to become uniform. Yeah, that's it. Mm. I could totally see that. You're right. Mm. Okay, let's go back to the beginning and talk about finding a personality because I know that for my own sake, learning early on that you had been a member of Dead or Alive at the beginning, and I just I think you mean the the round spin round like a record people that does not jive with what I hear from the mission at all. But when you go back and you listen to early dead or alive, like it's been hours now. Don't make no change on me There'll be hell 
fact, I was watching a clip from TV, and there's you in the background playing guitar on that. And um, that does make more sense to me. And so my understanding oh. is that you jumped ship from Dead or Alive when Pete decided he wanted to become even poppier. Um, it was... I mean, when I first joined, as you just quite rightly pointed out, when I first joined Dead or Alive, we were what you would call probably quintessential goth but you know it was that 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 term wasn't even around at that point you know it, we were just basically a, a band playing this kind of heavy music uh, with pete you know pete singing it was bass drums and guitars and and like an organ that sounds like the doors and it was you know it was dark it was moody it was uh it was great you know it was a great band actually the first it was yes year or so i was in dead or alive what happened was, I mean, I've only got myself to blame, really. I mean, Pete was gay, as we all know, but we used to go out socially as a band, and we used to go to gay clubs a lot. And at that time, in the early 80s, a lot of the gay clubs, I mean, the gay clubs were playing, you know, a lot of the more, you know, divine records and things, the more um, Sylvester and things like that, the more up-tempo, you know, dance records. Yeah. Dance records, you know. And so we go, go to dance clubs and and we'd like the records but it was completely the opposite of what we were playing as a band but i one day and i i was living with a guy who was an electronic band and he had a synthesizer at home just a little um little uh roland sh01 i think it was and a drum machine and so i worked out that if you plug the drum machine into the midi of the the sequencer they ran in sync right the, this keyboard and also I, fa I found out if you plugged your guitar into the back of the synth and played it it would with the drum machine it would go and it was like wow what a revelation and this this because you know we were into that getting into that kind of music you know we didn't really know how to to make that kind of music and it was it was an accident you know so mm -hmm. i i ended up taking that into rehearsal one day and it's like wow yeah that's brilliant we've got to go and record it so we we went to the studio and, and uh, recorded misty circles actually was the first thing we used that on Bit by bit, you know, we, we 
went, you know, one step, one step further, and another step further until the, we we ended up signing to CBS, who are Sony now. And um, one of the first things we did when we signed was buy a sequencer, a drum machine, uh, you know, a posh one with a with a synth, a whole the whole system. And so I would come up with songs on the guitar, and because we liked that sound, we would end up programming what I was playing on the guitar into the synth, into the sequencer. So in the end, I kind of made myself redundant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, so, so something like, you know, that's the way, uh -huh, uh -huh, I like uh -huh. it, you know, which was Dead or Alive's first hit. I, I was on that, I mean, but basically all I did on that was, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know. <laughs> and, I thought, and I just kind of felt like it really wasn't the best use of my talents, you know. I mean, uh -huh. you know, I was, a, you know, I was a guitarist and I wanted to play guitar. And I just found that I was playing less and less in Dead or Alive. I liked what they were doing, but it just, mm -hmm. it just uh, I just found that, you know, I, I wanted to play guitar music. I agree. Um, when I talked to Tim, now you mentioned Pete being gay, which has always been my assumption. Yeah, you know, that's when I first met Tim, actually. When, 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 right, we sophisticated fubu. Yeah, we worked together on the Dead or Alive album. Dead, Tim, yeah. was, uh, Tim was there when I left uh, Dead or Alive. Yeah, we discussed that a little bit. and But he had, Tim had mentioned that Pete was there with his wife or his girlfriend. I'm blanking on which one it is. And I was like, wife. That's okay, wife. And I was like, Pete Byrne had a wife? That's yeah. that's counter to everything. So then I started thinking as Pete, like what's really going on with Pete? Now, I mean, I'm not trying to be per you know too personal or insensitive. I just, you always think you, well, I assumed he was one thing and maybe he's not, I don't know. No, he was gay. I, but okay. I, he he had a uh, they were best of friends. Pete and Lynn were the very 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 best of friends, and they were very you know she was very supportive of Pete and and vice versa. You know they yeah. they were just they were great together, but they were friends. You know they weren't lovers. Okay. They they were married. They got married. And they lived in a flat, and then Pete uh, met Steve Coy, uh. and and um, then Steve moved in with Pete and Lynn. They had double bunk beds. So basically, Steve slept on the top bunk bed and Pete and Lynn slept on the bottom bunk bed. But then Lynn would go to work. And then, oh. uh, you know, so then, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know what went on in the bedroom, but, you know, I, sure. I, know, I know they had a double bunk bed and okay. sleep on top. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you Fascinating. know, yeah, it's, you know, from a, a sheltered Mormon upbringing to. <laughs> right. So that was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yep, okay. Teach his own. Whatever is cool with me. That's that's wild. Yeah, I just, uh, I was curious about it. So then when you come along and you join Sisters of Mercy, what's the, do you, you leave, I guess, because of what you were saying earlier, that it was too dark and you wanted to be a little poppier and you wanted to kind of, is it a control thing? Like, I want to be in charge here. Andrew no, feels, I, seems like a very dominant oh, personality. The, sister, the sisters, you mean? Yeah, what did I say? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, you just okay. you just jumped from leaving Dead or Alive to leaving the Sisters of Mercy. Yes, yes. So, yeah, no. So yeah, um, basically, uh, no, I didn't want to be in charge, but I, I, I liked to contribute. You know, I, 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 I was, and I still am creative, and I like being creative. I like coming up with songs and 
you know, guitar parts and whatever songs play, you know, I just like being creative and having that, that um, facility to, to be able to con- contribute in that way. And in, and in all fairness to Pete, you know, he, he was very encouraging in that respect, just towards the end. It just, you know, it just got like a bit, as I said before, I kind of did myself out of a job, but um, that's, that being said, I still, felt that Pete really respected me as a musician and as a member of the value, you know, a valuable member of the band. It was just, you know, it was just a bit sad the way it ended up in the end, but, uh, you know, we got over that and we, we were fine with each other, sure. you know, ultimately, but with, with Andrew, um, no, when I joined the sisters of mercy, I mean, it, it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything kind of, you know, said, this is how it's going to be, but, you know, in, um, in, implicitly, you know, I knew I, I, I felt that I was going to be able to contribute, you know, contribute songs in, and which I did, you know, and that that first and last and always basically half of the record I, I got to write, write the music for, and whilst Gary Marks got to write the other half, and um, whilst I was in the Sisters, you know, Andrew, Andrew actually wrote very little. Uh, I know he'd written quite a, really? most, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, he got. He, I know he'd written a lot of the stuff before I joined the band, like Alice and things like that. Um, but when um, when I was in the band, I mean, the first single I was on was Body and Soul, which, you know, I, I basically wrote the music for that and, and wrote the words, you know. Um, and then Walk Away was another of my tunes, and Marianne, and then, you know, first and last and always half, half of that album. But it wasn't really a case of that. It was just, I, I have this theory, John, that, you know, I, I, I think we gravitate towards people who are similar. And I think, I, I was thinking about this the other day, I was thinking because um, I'm actually reading Gary Newman's um, autobiography. Oh, um, that's another one I want to read. Good yeah, one. Well, yes. well, yeah, it's just come out, and, and um, he's you know he's a really good friend of mine. Is Gary? We go mm. back, you know, we go back a long way now, and it's and it's kind of refreshing to read his book, and it's it's similar in this in this instance to mine. Most music biographies or autobiographies are 
I, I mean, I just let, read Mark Lanigan's um, biography, autobiography, just before, and I, you know, I'm not. I was never. I've never been a huge Mark Lanigan fan, but I, I, I kind of like, you know, the fact that he survived and the rest of it. But his family background was was really troubled, you know, the way he was, you know, brought up and 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 the rest of it. And I and I think, and I was thinking about this that Gary's become a very good friend, and he's he, he talks a lot in his book about how close he was to his mother and father and the family, the whole thing. And and it's the same with with me, the way I was raised, the way I look at my family, you know. And I think then I think of the members of the mission. We all were very, we all are still close to our our parents, our families. You know, we always have been, and we have that kind of bedrock in our lives that that we that have it. We have that in common, which kind of gives us uh, a security, maybe that other people don't. I mean, and in uh, what I'm trying to say here, Andrew was a very different kind of person, and Andrew didn't have. Um, how can I say this? Uh, he, he he wasn't particularly close to his family, but let's okay. put it that way. And I think, you know, that really does colour people's personalities. I think, you know, I think I think we we surround ourselves with people that are like us. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So you believe then that you and the other bandmates' appreciation of family and that kind of closeness and intimacy is what's allowed that's fed into some of your success and yeah, um sure i think definitely yeah yeah, yeah, yeah sure crazy. and I, I think um i think it, you know i think of my 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 best friends in life and they're all people that are to me are, are balanced you know and, yeah. and i have that as i said that that kind of bedrock and they have that kind of uh you know that, i don't know what like what you call it really but that that kind of surety, that kind of security in their yeah. lives about themselves, you know. Yeah, you're, you're not you're not dealing with paranoias, or you're not dealing with hang, big hang-ups, you know. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I wanted to throw out some questions. We have Patreon supporters, and I always tell them who I'm going to be interviewing, and a couple of them came back with some questions for you that I wanted to throw out there. Firstly, from our friend Brian. He said, firstly, I would really owe you one if you would simply pass on my thanks to him for so many years of incredible music and the happiness that music has brought me. So that's from Brian. Oh, thank um, you. That's very sweet. Thank you. Sure. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, you, you know, when you write a song at home and, you, you know, you, you, you don't think about who it's going to touch. You, you, you just write the song and, you, and you know, you're, you're in your little, little room, your own little space. And then, uh, then you know, it goes out there, and it's quite amazing, really. And it's, it's yeah. such a privileged position to be in to to know that what we've done, what I've done, actually does touch people. It's it's quite yeah. incredible. Isn't feeling. that wild? Yeah, that wild? It, it is, the power lovely. you have is uh, pretty deep. Um, okay, he wants to know specifically about the album Mask. That's one mm -hmm. of his favorites. I was going to ask you about this too because. That was a kind of a bold, creative move for you at a time when <laughs> tastes and sounds are changing, you know? Yeah. He was wondering if you gave us some of the best dance-oriented guitar pop of the 90s with that one.
prompted the change of direction for the band at that time? I think, well, I think, I think we'd been a working band from 19, beginning of 1986, right through to the end of 1990. That was five hard years, basically touring, recording, touring, recording. We ended up losing Simon in the, in 1990. So we were, I mean, we, we had we brought in a couple of guitarists to tour with, but in essence, the band was, you know, um, Craig, Mick and myself, we were, you know, reduced to just a three piece. And I, I just kind of, again, I, I mean, I went out to the countryside, rented a place and started messing around with various pieces of equipment and listening to, you know, different music, I suppose. Not, not, not basically. I mean, at that point, I think what was trendy in Britain was kind of the Manchester thing that was going on, you know. And I think that probably fed into what I was doing. I was, I was into things like bassomatic as well. Um, so I think that kind of uh, started to feed into what what I was doing, and um, we weren't functioning as a band when we made Mask. You know, we were basically, I was basically writing songs. And, and Craig and Mick would come in the studio. I mean, basically, all the, pretty much all the drums on that record are uh, programmed. Mick just did some overdubs a bit, bit here and bit there. But, you know, he was very um, involved in the program of the drums. I, I look back at that time, and I think that really, I think that's a record, really, that they indulged me, mm. to be honest. Craig and Mick, they, they said, OK, yeah, you know, Wayne's going this way, you know. Let's, let's, let's go with him. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, you know, I, I look back in, in, in terms of the, uh, the curve of, if you want to call it my career, that, that seemed to have been, you know, if you want to be hard about it, it was probably, uh, it was a misstep mask. Uh, but, but I, seri- I definitely believe it was a record that I needed to make at that point. I needed to make. I needed to break the formula of what the mission. As I said, we've been five years, you know, as a band, and I needed to just to do something different. I needed to break that form. I felt, I felt carved in sand was the kind of quintessential mission record. But I think that it, it, it started to start to become a bit formula for me. And I, I could was, see that. And um, I want 
go somewhere different with it. And then, you know, and then we so we went, you know, dancey and more poppy and uh and then Nirvana came along at the same time. So right. it was like really out of step. You know, we, we became a pop group when the world right. went wrong. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Got your wires crossed. Okay, he had another question. His favorite mission album is Zara. And um he wanted really? to know how do you rank Aura against your, you know, in your class, uh, on your, in your catalog against your classic material? And then how did you go about assembling the new lineup? Well, basically, I think I was living out in California at the time. I was married to a Californian uh, for my sins at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I had packed in the mission. I hadn't, we hadn't, I, I think I'd been over there for two or three years, I think. And then uh, I got a phone call one day from Craig, <clears throat> actually, asking if uh, I want, you know, wanted to put the band back together to tour America. We'd had an offer to tour America with Gene Loves Jezebel and Mike Peters from The Alarm. And we hadn't toured, at that point, we hadn't toured America, toured America for 10 years, you know, so it was like, and also my marriage was kind of falling apart at that point. So it, it felt like a it had fallen apart, actually. And so it felt like a good time, a good distraction, actually, from, you know, the, the misery that uh, marriage falling apart can induce. So going out on tour was actually quite therapeutic for me at that point. Uh, so I said yes, basically. And um, Craig basically said, oh, I've got, a, I've got a drummer. He's been in the cult because Craig had been playing in the cult in the interim. And uh, so he brought Scott with him from the cult. And I, I had Mark Gemini Thwaite, who had been in the band for the last four or five years of the mission. So, you know, uh, I, at that point, Simon was living somewhere. I think he's living up in Seattle, actually, at that point. We had very little contact with him. So um, it just seemed uh, easy to bring Scott and um, Mark in. Okay. You know, join Craig and I. And um, yeah, so we did that tour, America, and it was only uh, really, we you know, at, the point, at that time, I mean, we only expected to be doing that tour, but then we did a little bit more touring, a little bit more touring, kind of started enjoying it, and then we just thought it'd be quite nice to make a new record. So I think, you know, I think Aura was kind of an attempt to kind of make a mission record as opposed to make, making a mask. Just 
Oh, interesting. Okay. I think it was, you know, it was definitely an attempt. Okay, this is what was good about the old mission records of the old mission lineup. Let's uh, let's let's utilize the strengths. I find, I don't know. I don't really sit and listen to the records very much, obviously. And I, I do when I'm, I'm stuck, about to go on tour and I need to relearn the songs. Uh, I find Aura actually quite harsh sounding. I think it was it was digital was kind of new, and I think it was the first album we did using digital. And I think it sounds digital to me, to my ears. But uh, I think there's some good songs on there. As, you know, there's a, still a fair few songs we play uh, live from that record. So okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. Um, speaking of interesting mission albums, I have a lot of questions about Neverland mm-hmm. because I like that album, but you probably know this. There are four or five songs on there that sound like slight variations on other songs. And uh, <laughs> so, like, Heaven Knows sounds just like Pictures of You from The Cure. Act Actors sounds just like Cry Like a Baby. Mm-hmm. Swoon sounds just like Heroes. Sway sounds just like Cashmere from uh, Led Zeppelin. Thank you. 
And I was curious if you I've, well, I've were aware of that. I've, no, I've not. Oh, heard, really? No, I've heard Tower of Strength sounds like Kashmir, which I can't, I can't really fathom. But uh, I've never thought of that one. No, the, uh, nor have I really, because I, I mean, I, I think, I think the fact that we had John Paul Jones producing that maybe you know suggested to people it just oh, yeah the fact the fact is big and epic i think people just say oh, it's like yeah. kashmir yeah. no sway sway i don't know i never thought of that it's, i, I mean, never I thought, thought of that either but when i read a review of the album they mentioned it and now it's in my brain and so i wondered if you were aware so that's what i'm thinking like when you're writing these songs are you thinking boy i love the cures pictures of you i'm gonna write a song that pays tribute to that or are you not conscious of it you know or did you have writer's block? What was going on with you? No, I didn't have writer's block. I mean, the fact is, it's a double album, that album. I mean, yeah. in, in all honesty, I mean, and I was producing it as well. We didn't have a producer at the time. I think if I'd had a producer, maybe he would have, they would have, you know, said, hey, you know what you're doing here? Maybe you should rethink this. So I, I think, I, I don't know. I didn't sit down purposely to copy anything, but, you know, I, I most of my songs over the years of uh, I, I, I've, I sit down to play play along to other people's records, but I'm not one that can sit there and work out how you know I'm not one I can't sit down and work out how people play you know guitar lines or anything like that. What I will do is come up with my own kind of assimilation of what they're doing, and a lot of my songs evolve from that. You know, just it, oh, I'll come up with something that you know, playing along to somebody else's record. Think, oh, that's nice, and then it, you know, it evolves into being something that's that is kind of uniquely mine by virtue of the, the you know the personality that I put into it. I think a lot of songwriters are like that. You know, the the, the, the magpie thing they they, st they steal bits and pieces from here and there. A lot of it's not conscious, certainly not consciously. But that you know, you can't help but be influenced by sure. what you hear. Sure. No, I I knew "Cry Like a Baby." I like 
I liked Cracked Actor. We we covered that a couple of times, mm. and I like the chords, you know. But I, as I said, I think if we'd had a producer on that record, they might have said, mm, you know, yes, but let's change this so it's not quite okay. as obvious. But but you know, but I don't I don't really care. You know what? Because no, I think, great well, album. I think, ulti- I think ult- ultimately, yeah, you make those songs your own, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I think I think uh, Heaven Knows is the most obvious. Happy's another one as well, it actually sounds a bit like The Cure. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I've got no problems, uh, as I say, sitting down and playing guitar and thinking, oh, that sounds like such and such, because ultimately you can make it your own. Yeah, well, and you do. I mean, it's it's a great album. I was just curious. I was just curious if there was, you yeah, know, I mean, behind that. No, no, I mean, I think uh, Swoon, um, Swoon actually started off more like uh, when we started it. Started off more like a, a U two thing, actually. Interesting. Rather than Heroes, I think Heroes. It's just the first couple of chords, isn't it? It sounds a bit like Heroes. Just yeah, has some of that drama to it. Um, yeah. Okay. Talk about some of the classics. Who is Severina? Or what is Severina? Such a great song. Again, man, I love your stuff, Wayne. This is amazing. I'm going to hear about. I get to ask you of all people about the making of these songs that I love so much. Tell well, this is amazing. You know, Tell me about it. We go we're talking about you know lifting other people's songs and making them your own. I mean, basically that started off as a Led Zeppelin pastiche. Anyway, um, Severina is the daughter. Was the daughter of a couple that I lived with in Liverpool for a little while. She was born whilst I was living there. And they named her Severina. They were big um, uh, Velvet Underground fans. And uh, Severin, Severin, shiny boots of leather. Um, <laughs> so they just took that and added an A make, to make it feminine, Severina. And so I just always loved the name. And I thought, I'm going to write a song called Severina one day, which I did. 
And you know, what, the funny thing is that when we first came to Brazil, which was in 1988, I think, on tour, we'd, we'd stopped playing that song by that point. And then we got to Brazil and we found out that it had been a huge hit here in Brazil. It's uh, because Severina is actually a very, very common name in the north of Brazil. It's really? like a, like Jane or, you know, yeah. Sarah. Yeah, it's like that. It's like it's just like Severina. It's like, wow. So we, we had to, you know, quickly relearn it in Sanchez one day to play. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's it's funny because you know I I um, I'm kind of known in the local village here as the Severina the Severina Gringo that lives on the hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, I've always wondered. Um, <laughs> tell me about uh, Beyond the Pale. Actually, this is another one that actually started off by me trying to play Layla. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. But you know, you know, it, it you know sat up all night, and by the time morning came, it was something completely different, obviously. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, and I mean, lyrically, that 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 song to me was the first and one of the very very rare political songs I've ever written. Uh, it's not very it's not very overt you know it's, it's not very obvious politically uh, you know it's not obviously a political song but it is uh, in my mind it, you know what, what what about i don't know that i've ever picked up on a direct political connection there it was about the tory tory government you know okay. in, in britain basically about, uh you know selling selling its people down the river you know yeah okay um, tell me also about deliverance. Believe in magic, believe in law, legend and myth, and the hand that guides in the cunning of hope, in the weaving of dreams, and the lady of the lake takes my hand and leads me to the holy.
Well, Deliverance. I mean, I'd read I'd read Mist of Avalon, <laughs> and uh, and I I kind of was very impressed, and I thought it was a great book at the time, and I kind of really got into the whole kind of uh, mythic Arthurian uh, kind of um, legend, you know, and so that that's where that song came from. I mean. Okay. It's it's a funny thing, really, because I look back at that and I think that that you know that chorus is such a great anthemic chorus and it's great live, you know, because you know the audience get very involved with that song. But then I think uh, listen to the lyrics in the verse and they don't really. I, I, whilst I like them and I think they they were very real for me at the time, they don't they don't really mean very much to me now. The lyrics for oh, delivering. Mm. Huh. Well, you know. Yeah. I, I've changed a lot, you know, so I mean, it, it's kind of about fairies and about, you know, say the, the, the Arthurian legend and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, good point. Okay. That's mm. what you closed the show with when the night I saw you in Scotland. Mm, yeah. No, I still, I still enjoy playing it. It's just that I think, I think it could have been a lot bigger song if the lyrics actually had a, a more. Yeah, it's easy to be wise in retrospect. A, 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 a more um, general lyric, I suppose, if you wanted okay. to call it. That. You know, well, I think it's, it's quite an es- es- it is. quite esoteric, really. Works, works for me. And then, lastly, tell me about Tower of Strength, obviously, and then tell us about Tower of Strength 2020. I mean, this is this is a new band aid, basically. I <laughs> goth aid. Goth aid, yes. Every t- I mean, I've watched the video a hundred times, and I've had four or five, three or four people from that are included on that song on our show, and um, it just it gives me goosebumps. I get emotional just thinking about it. It is so beautiful. It was a beautiful song anyway, and it's such a beautiful gesture what you've done with it. Tell us about the initial writing of that song, and then how it morphed into what it is now. Well, the original, original writing of that song, I actually, um, just for, whilst I've been home, um, and I, I've had obviously a bit more time to do, uh, to, to, you know, to myself than I normally, um, I, I've got boxes and boxes of old cassettes, you know, um, unlabeled most of them, which I've kind of just accumulated over the years. And so I, I'd, uh, I was kind of just sifting through them, making notes and trying, you know, finding old demos and rare mixes, you know, and things like this, live stuff. And um, I came across the original, very basic Porter Studio demo I recorded of Tower of Strength, actually, amongst many other little gems. So I, I, I kind of, I, I, I did that uh, in a studio that was, at, just near where my mum and dad lived when in Bristol when I went home for Christmas in 87 I guess it must have been and um, I did I went in there and I did like five or six songs in like two days um, Wing and a Prayer was another Kingdom Come Heaven on Earth Tower of Strength anyway um, that was the, and I found that and then we recorded it for uh, the, the children album with John Paul Jones producing and it just, you know, started to become epic. But at that point, I still, I was still working on the lyrics. And I remember being sat in the studio one day, <clears throat> in the um, actually play, in the playing room, and everybody else is in the control room. And um, one of our guitar techs came in, and I was feeling a bit glum, you know, a bit sorry for myself. 
And when the guitar techs came in, he said, well, what's up, Mr. Us, you know? And so, I don't know, Jez, you know, I don't know if I'm cut out for this, really, you know? I, you know, I like I like being in a band, but I don't know if I, I can take being the singer. You know, there's there's so much more involved with being the singer than just being the guitarist, you know, which is what I was in the Sisters of Mercy and Dead or Alive. And um also in, in, in the in the media, you know, you're a bigger target being the singer. Mm-hmm. And whilst we enjoyed a lot of press, a lot of that press was actually quite nasty. Yeah, and yeah. quite personal, you know. So I think it was just, you know, the thing. It was just what I kind of felt sensitive and vulnerable that particular day. And I said, you know, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. And he said, Oh, come on, Mister Rush. Just think of all those people out there that love you. You know, you're a tower of strength to them. <laughs> and it was like, uh, so that, yeah. So I mean, basically, that that conversation pushed me in that direction with that song and it's a song written for our audience actually mm. and uh, obviously you know it's become their anthem as well you know I mean it's that song I mean we still play it now as you as you know but generally we, we, we generally we end the night with it not start the show with it and um, it is it, it's, it's a moment of uh, communion for sure where you know the, the audience and the band are all one basically and, um, you know, it, it, it's that moment where even if it's been a, not a particularly good show, that moment will make it all worthwhile. It's, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's got that kind of going for it. So when, when I got back here to Brazil with the lockdowns, I started getting messages from people saying, can we use Tower of Strength in our hospital? You know, it's becoming a little bit of an anthem and, you know, why don't you re-release it, blah, blah. You know, and I was just, you know, and at that point, I was asked if I would sing on a couple of other charity things. And I just felt, I didn't feel entirely comfortable with doing that because I, I wasn't entirely sure of the motives of the people involved. And so I, I thought, well, I, you know, I was Michael Sirivolo from Beauty and Chaos is a good friend of mine. I was talking. Yeah. With, I was talking with him, and um, we came up with this idea of, you know, re- recording something, and uh, we did think about Heroes. Funnily enough, uh, um, as we're doing a new version of Heroes, but then oh, I nice. looked at, uh, yeah, well, yeah. It, it, then I looked at the lyrics, and it's, I thought, well, you know, it's a song about lovers at the Berlin Wall. It's not really pertinent to what's going on here now, you know. So. In the end, I, I just thought, well, you know what? Let's bugger it. Let's just do Tower of Strength. You know, it, it's, it says the right thing. I can control it, the, the, the logistics of it, the publishing of it as well. You know, because I, so I went to the um, rest of the band and said, look, you know, can you give up your publishing on this? I'll rename it TOS 2020 so it makes it different from Tower of Strength. You know, and so basically that's what we did. What I did, I, I, I thought, I, you know, I got in touch with a lot of friends of mine, musician friends and singers and stuff, and asked if they would um, get involved. And uh, thankfully, they were enough to make it worthwhile. Yeah, it was it was a lot of hard work, to be honest. I mean, you know, basically everybody recorded their parts without hearing what anybody else had done. You know, it's just basically they were working with an acoustic guitar and a guide vocal 
and the uh, the little bass the basic drum loop that I use. So, you know, that it was quite a lot of editing needed before I sent it to Tim to mix. But um, but it that was for me a really interesting part of the process as well to hear what Martin Gore did to it. You know, I mean, you know what what Richard Fortas did to it yeah. guitar the strings and what Andy Rock did to it, you know, I went budgie and, and, you know, I mean, these, these are, these are, I mean, this is a, a fantastic band. If you think budgie on yes. drums with Kevin Haskins on second drums and you've got Andy Rock on bass and you've got Robin Fink and uh, Richard Fortas on guitars, Billy Duffy, you know, it's like, wow, you know, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a pretty good strong lineup. Is that? It's amazing. Yeah. yeah and, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm just and grateful I think it, you did that. Yeah, and I think it, well, it's, it's 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 you know it's it's doing its thing. It's still raising money, um, which is good. And um, yeah, and, and it was it's just I think the reason everybody wanted to be involved was everybody just felt you know they just wanted to put something good and positive back out there some, somehow. Agreed. You know, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I love it. I think it's a really monumental thing for people for artists to do at a time like this i'm really grateful that it's out there and, yeah uh, i mean yeah you have to i mean you have to be care you have to question your own motives for doing these kind of things you know really i mean I, and I, I did do that i mean you know i had I, it had to i had to, to make myself okay with doing it it but i had to you know give up the publishing on it as well you know i mean basically you know i stand to earn nothing from it financially yeah. nothing, and you know, nobody does, uh, it's involved, you know, so that was my prerequisite, so. Yeah, well, it was a noble cause, you did it. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's still out there, it's still doing its thing, so hopefully it will carry on selling for a little bit, you know, so. Good. Um, Okay, I have two more questions. You got a few more minutes? Sure. Okay, first question, Three, actually. Three more questions. I'll be quick about it. One, a few years ago, I think it was 2013, I was reading an article in The Quietus, which is a great online magazine. You mm-hmm. picked your Baker's Dozen. They do. They ask people like you, mm-hmm. what are yeah, your 13 yeah. favorite albums? Yeah. And uh, I was shocked at how many times blues, the genre blues, came up in this, <laughs> this interview. Because right. I don't think of you as being bluesy at all. And in fact, you picked a song, and I've always I've blanked on it, but I remember it was a, from an old, it was an old black lady, and it's really filthy. She's talking about, like, the size of her nipples and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Big as any of my son. I got something between my legs. I'll make a dead man come out. Baby, won't you shave him dry? No, go out. Want you to grind me, baby? Grind me until I cry. Say, I fucked all night and all the nights before, baby. And I feel just like I want to fuck some more. Great God, daddy, grind me, honey, shave me dry. And when you hear me holler, baby, want you to change dry. I got nipples. Daddy said, I count me one, and you can make them come. Oh, Daddy, shave me down. And I'll give you some, baby. Well, it'll 
I'm going to turn back my matches and let you oil my springs. I want you to find me, Daddy, till the bell do ring. Oh, Daddy, want you to shave and dry. Oh, great God, Daddy, if you can't shave them, baby, won't you try? Now, fucking was the thing that would take me to hell, and I'd be fucking in the studio till the clock strikes 11. Oh, I've got nipples on the end of my titties, the side, uh, the side, end of my, you know, the biggest of my thumb. Yeah. Got some, something, got something yes. between my legs that make a dead man come. That's it. Yes. yes. Yeah. I remember oh. passing, I, I, when I discovered that song, thanks to you, I remember sending that to all my friends, like, guys, here's the song of the day. Everyone's like, what? What is this? <laughs> it was brilliant. great. Oh, what's her but, name? Uh, God. Uh, uh, yeah, we use that as our... You know, the music, when we finish the show, mission show, and people are, you know, leaving the venue, that's what we that's what we put on for them to yes. do. The yeah. It's great. I, I mean, I, it, well, I, I went through a phase, you know. I, I, when I was younger, I hated the blues. It was, yeah. Uh, I hate the blues. I still kind I, of do. I, 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 well, I hate modern blues. I hate, yeah. I hate electric blues, electric modern blues. But what I do like, I like, you know, I like that old blues where, you know, there's, it's the guy like Robert Johnson, you know, it's one guy playing guitar and singing. And that's incredible. Really. The, 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 I mean, the dexterity of that guitar playing is like, it's phenomenal. It sounds like two or three guitar players. It's just one guy. It's and, he's, and he's singing at the same time. So I, I actually got into the blues very, very late, about probably about 10 years ago. I actually got into the blues, really old blues, though, the Delta blues, you know, the Mississippi blues, that kind of thing, the old um, 1930s and 40s stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, I think probably <laughs> 2013, that probably caught me at the my bluesy moment, bluesiest moment. That makes sense, because when you... Cross-referencing that with listening to the Brightest Light album that there came out this the year, there yeah. is a much more defined blues influence or sound going on in that album than anything else the mission has done. They herded us down to the station Straight on to the cattle train We ain't been told our destination But we know we won't be back this way again So tell me how, how in God's name Will the saints ever find us when the track I mean, I mean, that's what I was into. I mean, and, and I was, I've kind of been writing those songs. I had also got into Bob Dylan in a big way as well. I mean, obviously, I'd, you know, I'd like bits and pieces over the years, but I was never a huge fan. But uh, 10, 15 years ago, I really got into Dylan big time. 
Okay. And so I think the brightest light, the, those songs that I wrote for that album were kind of heavily, heavily influenced by Dylan and the Blues. Makes sense. Okay, now I understand. Yeah. Um, also, another question. You have done some really interesting uh, covers in your life, in, in your musical career. And like a, like a Hurricane, for one, is a classic. Once I thought I saw you In a crowded, hazy bar Dancing on the light from star to star Far across the moonbeam I know that's who you are I saw your brown eyes turn and watch the fire What goes into you deciding what makes a great cover? Do you, like, for instance, I was listening to the Curios album to get ready to talk to you. There's some great mm. stuff on there. Enjoy the silence and the kinks and Bowie and all this stuff. Do you go with, do you just cover the songs you like? Do you cover songs you think you can make different or improve on? What's your philosophy? Well, I don't know. It's, I don't know if you can improve on them, but you can, you can True. do them in a way that, make, that makes them your own. Yeah, and I think that that that's a prerequisite with the cover. I think, I mean, to be frank, it goes back to that whole thing we were talking about earlier on. When um, you know, I sit down and play play other long to play other people's records, and uh, you know, that's how my own songs evolve. Occasionally, I you know, I, I end up being able to play someone else's song, and that's that's how my cover will come up. It's like, well, I can play this. I'll I'll, I'll sing these words. This and that's and that's why I think the covers that. I've done over the years, I've always ended up being quite different from the original versions. Because basically, you know, I, I, I start I start off, that's the starting point, is listening to the record, the original record, and then I'll, I'll start playing around with the chords and the vocal melody and stuff like that. And then I won't listen to the original then for a while. So so my, my version evolves in, in a kind of uh, more organic way. You know, they are songs. Yeah, of course, they're songs I love. I mean, there's there's millions of songs that I love and I would love to cover, but most of them, I guess, really are, are quite accidental. You know, they're not. I don't sit down or think, oh, I'm going to do a new cover. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be playing on the okay. guitar and I'll come up with chords and think, oh, that's such and such a song. Or sat at the piano and I'll come up with something and think, oh, that's uh, White Christmas. I think I'll cover White Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You should do a you should do a cover album of Mormon hymnals. You know? Of Mormon Book hymns. Of Mormon stories. Yeah. Oh, Mormon stories. Oh, ye <laughs> yes. We thank thee, O God, for a prophet. Come yeah. on, you're the guy to do this, Wayne. You could totally Actually, do this. you know you know the band Low. 
Uh, I do. Uh, yes, yeah. I love Low. They're more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. I, I really like this stuff too. Actually. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they're still. They. They are still quite. Quite active, aren't they? I believe they are. As is Brandon Flowers, lead singer of The Killers, um, oh, really? who I would imagine is a huge fan of yours because he. He's from that same kind of era. I bet he is. Yeah, he's a active Mormon too. All right. It's, are they American killers? Yes, they are. They're from Las Vegas. Uh, they they did that. That's what the big hit was. Uh... Mr. Brightside is the main one. Um, because uh, oh, when you're young is another one. There's. They're huge yeah. in the states. Yeah, anyway. I know. I know. I know they're huge. I, I mean, yeah. you, you also got to remember. I live in the uh, Brazilian countryside, and I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not exposed. I mean, Placebo were a new band to me. Oh, Placebo! <laughs> they're a good band too. And they're, 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 and they're celebrating 25 years this year. Yeah, that's true. But for me, in my mind, they're a new band. You know. <laughs> yeah, it takes a while for things to travel to rural Brazil. Actually, I mean, actually, the the reason uh, I was, I mean, obviously you heard of Placebo and heard one or two songs, but um, they came, played here about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago. And they played, they came to play not just San Paulo and Rio, they came to play a town, which is, is only like a 45 minute drive from where I live. So my wife and I went to see them. And I actually have to say, I was very, very impressed by the show. And I, I thought it was, I thought they were great. I thought they played great. He sang great, Malco sang great, and, um, you know, they looked good. The whole show was great. And uh, I went backstage afterwards, you know, to say hello and stuff, of course. Then they invited us up to Rio, uh, which was like a week later when they were going around South America and they're finishing Rio. So my wife and I went up to Rio, which, is, I mean, it's only a 45-minute flight, you know, from okay. where we live. And, and we like Rio. And so we, uh -huh. we went up there spent the weekend and went to see them. And uh, it was exactly the same show. Really? I mean, even, even down to what he said between songs, yeah. it was like, mm, mm. Yeah. I'm kind of dis a bit disappointed with that, really. Yeah. I saw Rush on back-to-back -back nights. If, if, you know, if, I, if, I'd only, if, I, if I'd only seen them the once, then I would have been, you know, really, really impressed. <laughs> right. yeah. I know. I love uh, Placebo. I've never seen them live, but I saw rush on back-to-back -back nights and it was the same thing all the stage banter was in the exact same spots exact same jokes all of it the exact same. yeah yeah and i mean they were even wearing the same clothes you know so yeah so yeah yeah uh, i don't know yeah okay uh two more well one question and then the final thing i usually go out on one of my other listeners i was saying i was going to mention this later brent had asked specifically about some of the soundtrack work that you're doing um, I am less familiar with this, I'll admit, but I'm guessing your wife, who's an actress, has something to do with this. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, one of my unrealized ambitions and, and a dream that I still would like to uh, fulfill one day is to actually score for a film. You, make, you know, write music for a film. I've done bits and pieces, but never a whole film. And I would really like to do that, but no one's ever asked me. Um, but, um, yeah, my wife is an actress and a couple of years ago, no, yeah, a couple of years ago, they, uh, she was doing a, a stage play, it was two, two women stage play of an old, um, Brazilian play from the seventies that had won awards and stuff, you know, the play itself. 
And so they asked, uh, um, and the, the director is a friend of ours, a French guy. He's with um, a, a, a quite a famous French um, Paris-based uh, theatre group. They've been here a few times in Brazil. And he asked, he was directing it, and he asked if I would make do the music for the um, play. And it it was, uh, you know, it was quite, it was set in the Brazilian countryside, It's and there's a lot of dialogue. And so I came up with the idea, in, in, you know, talking to the, with the director, we came up with the idea of basically using instruments that you would find in a house. You know, you, so you find a piano, a piano in a house, or an acoustic guitar, and maybe a violin. So they're very acoustic instruments, you know. And so basically, I then wrote the music with that that palette of instrumentation. Mm. Uh, wrote the, you know, I can play piano, and I obviously can play the keyboard and violin samples, so I can write violin parts. And it was just really, really good, uh, interesting um, exercise process for me because writing the writing the music for film is. You, you know, it's, it's finite. You know, there's there's a scene. It starts here, finishes there, and that's how long it is. And that's that's what you need the music for. With the play, it needs to be more flexible than that. There needs to be an awful lot of space in it, and it needs not to really have a tempo, mm. because the tempo comes from the actresses. Who, you know, and it, and it varies from night to night. You know. And so, yeah, I, I wrote the music for that. I mean, and, and it was it was really one of my favorite things I've done, to be honest. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think um, it was nominated um, for the Brazilian uh, Sao Paulo Theatre Awards, actually. Nice. It, it, yeah, I didn't win. I mean, <laughs> but, well, I, you know, I think they kind of give it to Brazilians. <laughs> Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, but I mean, I was, you know, I was nominated and stuff. But I, I, be honest with you, I'm not really bothered about that kind of things. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, all all those um, shows where I don't know, like the Brits and all the rest of it. I, it's like not for me. Yeah, I could see uh, that. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really see why they should spe be spending all the money. They should spend it on you know new bands or whatever. Anyway, that's that's another conversation. Okay. Last two questions. Number one, is the name of the is your band named the Mission because your parents wanted you to go on a mission? Kind of in a roundabout way. I mean, okay. basically, Mick, Mick and I were sat up one night in my house in, in my house in Leeds, and we were trying to come up with band names. And uh, I was writing in a, a Mormon missionary diary that, but they had bought me in the hope that I would one day go on a mission. So that was kind of oh, a mission. And, and plus, I had mission speakers at the time. So we're listening, and it's like, oh, mission, mission. Oh, yeah, that's a, that, let's put that down on the list. The interesting thing about this is that my friend, Jan, who I do this podcast with, he went to Leeds on his mission. So it's interesting that you would get the inspiration to call yourself the mission while in Leeds, because that's where he went on his mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor yes. man. I mean, yes. all the places to go for a mission. I know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got to go to Michigan. And so both of us kind of got screwed in this deal because all my friends went to like far off exotic places like Russia or something or Brazil. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. I got to go to Lansing, Michigan. Anyway, 
Yeah, you uh, get what okay. you're given, don't you? That's you true. That's true. Given. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my mum and, my mom and dad were hoping to come to Brazil on their mission, but they got sent I to bet. the Philippines. I bet. Yeah. Lastly, when you look back on all of this, what is your favorite memory? You, I mean, we, you grew up a Mormon kid and decided you wanted to be a rock star and that you had it within you to do it, and you did, and you wrote so many fantastic songs. You have to have met so many people that you would never have guessed, like becoming friends with Gary Newman, or whatever. Tell us what is just one of the things where you just think, I cannot believe this happened to me. Well, you know, I, I probably, okay, I'm a huge supporter of Liverpool Football Club. That's my team from since 1965, since I was a kid. And the last couple of seasons, they have started playing Tower of Strength before they come on the pitch every home game. And I, I've been there. I've been there in the stadium when they played Tower of Strength, and that's that for me is like, wow. Yeah, that'll do it right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Good. Yeah, it could be. You know, I mean, you know, it could have been Manchester United, which I would have hated, but because it's, <laughs> because it's Liverpool, it's my team. It's like yes. <laughs> well, thanks for talking with me, Wayne. I love you a lot, and I'm so grateful for everything you've put in this world because it's made my life better thank oh, you thank you yeah it's been fun it's been it's been fun chatting good. with you good thank you wayne all right there you have it wayne hussey i love that i love that conversation i hope you guys did too and i hope now i always like to kind of give you guys a heads up when there's a cd that you should own there is a single disc compilation of the mission's work called sum and substance and if you are new to the mission or you don't have all their stuff or whatever, start there. Get that. It's got all the major tracks from the 80s on it that you would need to know. And if you like what you hear, and I'm sure you will, just start at the beginning and keep going. Because every album has value. There's lots of good stuff there. Uh, let's see. Next week's guest um, is a... We're going way back to the 60s for next week's guest. And in fact, just like God and Hell... And religion played a part in this conversation. God and hell and fire are going to play a part in next week's conversation. So anyway, I hope you guys will come back and check that out. Famous 60s one-hit wonder. I probably just gave it away. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for putting everything together, being my partner. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. You guys can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Um, by the way, I think I forgot to mention what song this is. I had mentioned earlier there some of the great covers that Wayne has done over the years. This is that cover of Enjoy the Silence that I mentioned. Sounds nothing like it, but it's so beautiful. He's so good at this. All right. Uh, thanks, everybody. We love you. <laughs>